The Garden Question is a podcast for people that love designing, building, and growing smarter gardens that work. Listen in as we talk with successful garden designers, builders, and growers, discovering their stories along with how they think, work, and grow. This is your next step in creating a beautiful, year-round, environmentally connected, low-maintenance, and healthy, thriving outdoor space. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner or an expert, there will always be something inspiring when you listen to the Garden Question podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Craig McManus. This is episode 48. We are introducing a new series that I believe you will find interesting and beneficial. The series will be a collection of garden case studies from my experiences as a garden designer and creator. I'll drop a case study in from time to time when I'm inspired to do so. Don't worry, I'll continue to interview inspiring designers, builders, and growers of smarter gardens that work. I couldn't stop doing that. I'm addicted to it. I'm addicted to learning and applying the many new things I learn from the guests I interview each week. So here we go. This is episode 48, Moving and Editing Your Plants, a case study with Craig McManus. I'll return after this. You're invited to engage with us on Instagram at the Garden Question Podcast. If you'd like to email me directly, the address is question at thegardenquestion.com. That's question at thegardenquestion.com. Please remember, your ratings and reviews are always appreciated. The largest tree ever transplanted was a ginkgo biloba. It is believed to be 750 plus years old. The tree is located in South Korea and was lifted over 57 feet to higher ground to prevent being submerged following the construction of the Imha Dam. The transplantation process took almost four years to move the over 95-foot-tall, 108 feet from branch tip to branch tip tree and is estimated to have weighed 1,378 tons. After hearing this story, transplanting that mislocated plant in your garden is not such a big deal, is it? You know, the crepe myrtle that hides the most intriguing feature of your home? How about that pass-along plant from Aunt Becky, the contorted filbert? It was in the perfect place, but now it's in the perfect place for the new outdoor living area. Okay, we're selling the house, and we're taking the Japanese maple with us. Have you seen how much those things cost in the garden center? Moving plants in the garden is really not an unusual thing. In fact, the saying goes, unless you move your plants three times, you're really not gardening. Well... You'd rather not do that, I know. Having a plan is really the best way to go. But inevitably, you're going to move some plants, but hopefully not three times. The ones that can be easily lifted with a shovel with a couple of cuts in the ground, those are the easy ones. It's the ones that require maybe several months to move, depending on the time of the year, depending on the size of the plant. And really, has that plant served its purpose in the garden and it's time to go away? I know, we don't like discarding plants, but sometimes they've served their purpose and it's time to be edited out of the landscape. Some plants are just high maintenance where they're located. For instance, It was a plant that was planted in a spot that needs to be three feet tall, but this plant gets 20 feet tall. Now that creates some maintenance every year, or it may be a plant that attracts scale all the time. So there's reasons to edit plants out of the landscape. 
Now, every plant has a perfect location. It just may not be in your garden. There are a number of things I look for during a site evaluation. For this discussion, we will focus on what plants are worth keeping and what plants need to be edited from the garden. Most every plant can be relocated, but is it worth it? I want to know, are there any sentimental plants in the garden? Maybe a family heirloom or a pass-down plant. Are there any plants with special meaning to the garden's owner? All these are significant reasons to keep a plant, maybe just not in its current location. As I walk through the site, I look for misplaced plants that will thrive in a better location. Another question I ask, is it practical to move and will that plant enhance the aesthetics of the garden and the structures in a different spot? Not a large percentage of plants make the team. Then there's some plant jewels that are just pleading, please move me, please move me, please move me, so I can thrive in another location. If done correctly, it's not that risky to move large plants. Doing it correctly may be too costly. A new plant could very well be the better option. Other than the budget, time is often a bigger factor. The time of the year and how much time do you have to actually transplant the plant. Most of my projects have been garden and landscape renovations where we create new outdoor spaces for people. More often than not, we find that plants were planted in a location with no thought to what size they would mature. This is a huge factor in creating a low-maintenance, healthier outdoor space. I believe mature size should be the rule over bloom color when making plant selections. Every time you purchase and plant a bald and burlap tree or shrub, you are transplanting a plant that has usually been grown several hundred miles away. It was probably dug from the ground with a mechanical spade and placed in a burlap-covered wire basket for easy transportation and handling to its future home in your garden. I have participated in transplanting thousands of these type plants. By far, the weeping Japanese maple has been the most requested and justified plant that we have relocated on a landscape or garden site. We just moved a 15-plus-year-old weeping Japanese maple that was encroaching on the front sidewalk of a home. There were several other additional visual design failures that could be corrected. It was off balance with the landscape. It also blocked the view of the home's front door, moving the Japanese maple to the right of the front door by 10 feet brought the garden presentation into balance while putting the small tree with very interesting features on the visual pedestal it deserved. If you go to our Instagram page, the Garden Question Podcast, you will see the tree hoisted into the air en route to its new location. I think it's an exciting view, and it was a rush to do. Of course, I'm the guy in the skid loader. Please comment and follow us while you're at our Instagram page. Japanese maples, like many plants, are shallow-rooted. This particular Japanese maple has a 5-inch caliper, which is tree talk for diameter, for how wide is the trunk of the tree. We excavated a trench 12 inches around the tree's drip line. The drip line can best be described as imagining the limb structure as an umbrella where water drips off the outside edge. And that's where we excavated the trench around the tree. We left many roots behind, but got more than enough to ease the transplant shock and a good start for the tree in a new location. Now it's time to lift the tree and move it. 
I pushed the pallet forks on the skid loader under the tree to break any other connection between the soil. Now, I once saw Roger Cook on this old house use four forks. We only have two. thought the four fork idea was a very good idea. I just never got around to buying two extra forks to make it happen. If you're using the two-fork method, you may need to insert the pallet's forks under the root ball a couple of times to break any connection between the soil and the tree. Once we have loosened the tree from the ground, we find the balance point and lift it out. Now you're on your way. We have also used our dingo in tighter locations using the same technique. These machines have been great assistance in many a plant finding a happy new home. I know you may be thinking right now, but Craig, we don't have that kind of machinery to work with. In the early days, we didn't have that type of machinery either, but we took advantage of doing what we could do with the skills that we had. In my way of thinking, if the Egyptians were able to build pyramids without this kind of machinery, then we surely can move plants by using some of the same techniques that Egyptians used to build pyramids. Yeah, I know. Now you're regretting that you didn't pay attention in history class, right? Come-alongs, root ball carriers, levers, rollers. There's a lot of different ways that you can move large plants without motorized machinery. Machinery makes you more efficient and shortens the time factor. Okay, back to moving the tree. After we placed the tree in the pre-dug hole, we backfilled with native soil around the transplanted root ball. We placed mulch over the root ball and watered for an hour. Be sure not to ever, ever put your mulch of choice in contact with the tree stem or the trunk of the tree. A lot of problems can happen if you do. We have moved hundreds of Japanese maples, and I don't recall any that have not survived the move. This was a rather fast, quick move with this particular Japanese maple. But remember, this was in ideal conditions. The tree was dormant with no leaves. It was a cold, cloudy day and we had very good access with equipment that could handle the weight. Moving a tree in full leaf in the hot summer is a different story. It takes time, and it takes patience to accomplish that. The most challenging Japanese maple I've ever moved was done in late June. This is not the hottest part of the summer, but it was plenty hot in the mid-80s. The tree was in full leaf, and one of the keys was that we were able to start the digging process in early April. So we had time on our side. Why didn't we move the tree in April? Well, because it was about to leaf out, and that is one of the worst times to make the move. The other part of the answer is that we didn't have time with all the other demands and commitments we had already had on the books. We dug a trench halfway around the drip line of this eight-foot-wide tree canopy. We then placed tree protection fencing around the tree because the home was being added onto within three feet of the tree. Now, I would have much preferred that we have gotten the tree out a lot earlier before all this construction was happening right next to it, but there wasn't anything we could do about that. We just tried to save it and protect it the best we could. The trench was filled with water several times a week for about a month. We dug the other half of the trench around the tree in about 30 days to complete the trench around the total tree, continuing watering for the next month. 
This allows the tree to begin creating new root systems within the root ball after being severed the first month. The unsevered roots support the tree, and that's why we didn't dig the other half. When the roots in the second half are severed, the new roots that formed where we did our first dig supported the tree. At this time of the year, the tree has leaves and transpiration is occurring in the plant. A simple explanation for transpiration is that water is entering the plant through the root systems and being expelled through the leaves. If the root system was not taking in water, then the leaves would have displayed wilt or drooping of leaves when we finished completing the trench around the tree. We took our time and we allowed the root system to be developed so it could take in water after being severed. Not executed properly, the leaves could have wilted to the point that they dropped off a very stressed tree. We experienced no wilt and we had the time to work the process for this summer move. Things are about to get very interesting because we have an estimated three-ton specimen tree root ball and it is in the middle of the future interlocking concrete paver patio. What I've not told you is that the slope and a fence blocked our skid loader access. And even if we could have accessed it with the skid loader, it just weighed too much for the skid loader to be able to lift it and pick it up and put it in its new home. So what do we do? We came up with a bright idea, and it's good to have these bright ideas before you get too far down the road so you've got a plan of how you're going to excavate the tree and then move the tree and have the new home ready to accept the tree. These were zero lot line homes. They only had about 20 feet on one side of the home where you had a long extended garden that we were building there. And this area had been narrowed down by the home addition, so we actually only had about 13 feet in that particular area to work with in width. It was very long, and we stationed the excavator outside the fence in the alleyway reaching through the gate, extending the excavator arm and bucket to its maximum. Still 25 feet short, we attached a chain around the bucket and headed for the root ball. We have placed another chain around the wood cribbing we built around the root ball, also placed plywood on the ground in front of the root ball to act as a slide. It actually became a skid, not a slide. We didn't plan on that. After slowly retracting the mini excavator arm, moving inch by inch and extending the arm back out and taking up the slack in the chain, an hour later, the tree was in the pre-dug hole ready to thrive, which it's been doing for the last five years. I'll drop a photo of that move also on Instagram, and that gives you two reasons to visit the Garden Question podcast on Instagram. You will have to determine, along with your client, if a plant is worth moving. I found out that unless there is an emotional tie to the plant, the client is dependent on you to make a recommendation whether it's smart to move that plant or not. Once you get past the emotional attachment to a plant, it really boils down to, is that plant more valuable relocated than replacing it with a new plant? Most of the time it's not, but the way plant costs are going now, it may be worth moving that plant because everything is going up and getting smaller. That's your call and your client's call. Will it make sense? On a recent project, there were three mature camellia sasanquas growing within three feet of the residential structure. 
Now, if you know anything about Camellia sasanquis, you know that this is way too close. Every year, they try to reach their potential of 15 to 20 feet tall, and they like to get about 6 to 8 feet wide, so 3 feet next to the house. It's not good for the plant, and it's not good for the home because the residential structure can never dry out because the plant is too close to the house. It allows moisture to always be on the siding, which you know what happens then. You have mildew and potentially rot and decay. Who wants to deal with that expensive repair on your home? So just one more reason to make sure there's airflow behind the plant. The plants will love it. The home will love it. Let's get back to moving the camellias. Every year, they were top cut and sheared, removing most of the bloom buds so the plant would never produce the blooms that it was capable of doing. The client wanted to know if they could be moved, and I would love to try to move it for them. So we did. The weather was perfect, and the plant was in a dormant state. The root balls, unfortunately, fell apart during the move, and I'm not so sure that they'll make it. So far, so good, though. The test will be if enough of the root system can reestablish to sustain itself during the summer heat. I like their chances. One of the camellias became a tall element in the front garden with an underplanting of gardenia radicans. Yes, they were already in full sun, and camellias typically like to be in filtered light. These had grown up in full sun, but anyway, that's a discussion for another time. The other two were planted on the property line with an overlooking view from the kitchen. If they make it, they should put on a really good show every year. We will do some structural pruning and thinning after they have established, and they should be good to go after that. They'll be free to grow to their potential, showing out with their blooms that had usually been cut out during their stressful multi-shearing each year. Well, let's wrap up this episode 48, Moving and Editing Your Plants, with me, Craig McManus. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I hope that you have a tremendous year designing, building, and growing a smarter garden that works. The goal is that every episode is valuable and well worth your time. Please generously share the Garden Question podcast with your friends, relatives, and neighbors. Check out our website, thegardenquestion.com, for links, resources, and where you can listen to every episode again and again. You will not want to miss a weekly episode, so please subscribe to the Garden Question podcast with Craig McManus on your favorite listening app. Keep on designing, building, and growing a smarter garden that works.